very encouraging to have Lexi in the front row. She's full of smiles. She, she doesn't actually go to sleep like some others. But, uh, good, isn't it? Woo! I have to confess there have been times when my eyes have been heavy in a sermon, but David said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Well, we've come to God's Word and we trust that the Holy Spirit will help us to understand, to take in and to appropriate these things in our lives. We have to have knowledge, but that knowledge needs to work itself out in practice and in faith. And so let's pray that God will help us. Heavenly Father, we're going to be looking at a lot of your scriptures this morning and we ask you, Lord, that they will engender faith in our hearts, Lord. Lord, that's the thing you value most from your people. Yes, you love service, but Lord, you love faith more. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will help us this morning to work in our hearts, work on that word that faith is engendered. And Lord, that we exercise faith that pleases you. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we start today um, a new series, only a short series, a four-part series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And it's important that we come back to this subject time and time again because it is so foundational to the Church of Jesus Christ. We've said in the past that we want to be people of word and the Spirit. We don't want to neglect either. Uh, We want to express both in our church life. And the aim of this series um, is both to inform, we want you to have knowledge, we want you to understand what the scripture says about the Holy Spirit, but also we want to stimulate thirst for the one that the Lord Jesus has given when he ascended on high. He gave us the Holy Spirit to help us get the job done, the job that he's left us with, which is to take the gospel into the whole world. You might ask the question, well, if the Holy Spirit has already been poured out on the church, why do we need to be thirsty now? Or, if we're not already thirsty, why stimulate thirst? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit, just like our salvation, is received by faith. We can't earn it, we don't deserve it. The Holy Spirit is not given to special people by human terms. Uh, And so we can't earn it or deserve it. It comes by faith. And uh, Jesus said this, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I think Jesus was expressing something there that required faith. If we come to Jesus, we drink by faith. And he goes on, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. That comes in John's gospel and John adds the rider that um, uh, the, he, Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we need to be thirsty, uh, otherwise we won't drink. And uh, having been filled with the Spirit, we need to maintain a relationship with the Holy Spirit. As God's people, through faith in Jesus, we are commanded to live by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to keep in touch with the Spirit, not to grieve the Spirit, and to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's so important. Consequently, we need to be proactive. 
Right? We need to be active in seeking more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because if we are passive, then gradually we will lose a thirst for the Holy Spirit. That's just how it works. We will lose a taste for the Holy Spirit. So that's why this message is uh, for seasoned Christians like me, uh, as well as people that are new to the face. And this series indeed applies as well. Well, the Bible tells us that faith comes through hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So it's the Bible, the words of the Bible, the, the, the truth that we have in the Bible which engenders faith. So if we're lacking faith, then we need more of the word of God. And I don't apologise for the fact that this morning that we're going to be looking at many scriptures. Hopefully they'll come up on the screen uh, when we come to them. This morning we're going to mainly look at how Jesus prepared his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit by making various promises to them and teaching them about the Holy Spirit. So the result was when the Holy Spirit was eventually poured out on the day of Pentecost, the people were hungry and thirsty. They were waiting for something. Uh, It had been built up over a long period of time that they were to expect something. And we'll see later that Jesus told them quite close to the time, it's almost here, the time is almost here for you to receive the Holy Spirit. And we see that as a result the church multiplied rapidly and these were a people who were intoxicated by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and um, you know, many have suggested that the book called The Acts of the Apostles ought to be better called The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because as you turn the pages, every page, there's something about the Holy Spirit, either filling people or doing something uh, amazing. I want to give you an illustration of that, and it's a slightly unusual illustration. And that is that the church was far from perfect, even at the very beginning. Uh, And we see, as we read in Acts 5, that uh, a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira Um, They were deceitful in their dealings with the church. Uh, The apostles were collecting money from uh, people that had sold goods and land and they were distributing it to those who had need. And both Ananias and Sapphira were deceitful about how much money they had actually got for the land. And we see that in Peter's response, the offence wasn't against the church so much, it was an offence against the Holy Spirit. He says to Sapphira, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? So conscious were they of the spirit's activity that even in something like that, an act of discipline, uh, the Holy Spirit was the reference point. But before we look at Jesus' teaching to his disciples on the Holy Spirit, we should perhaps ask the question, who is the Holy Spirit? It's not an unreasonable question. Many of you will know the answer to that. Perhaps some, maybe not quite so clear. If you were here when I, uh, just before Christmas when I preached on the incarnation, you will remember that we identified the Holy Spirit who caused Mary to conceive as being what we call the third person of the Trinity. Now this word Trinity is not found in the Bible, it's our way of trying to describe what is revealed about God in the Bible. We see God in three persons, although God is one, he is revealed in three persons. And we usually say Father, Son and Holy Spirit, hence 
the Holy Spirit is often referred to as the third person. I'm sure he doesn't take that title for himself, but that's how it is. And although the work of the Holy Spirit is often presented uh, in, in terms of, of power, force, dynamic, enabling, um, he is not an impersonal power like electricity or nuclear energy, but a person. And so often, and particularly Jesus, refers to him as he. And the Holy Spirit also exhibits human-like characteristics at times, like being grieved, as we've already mentioned. And uh, though all the members of the Trinity are equal in importance, they have different functions. The Father sends the Son. The Son is obedient, coming to earth. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. There is what the theologians call an economy uh, in the Godhead. They have different functions. And the Holy Spirit is often seen as the one who executes God's will on earth that he brings about those things that are the will of God, either through people or through other means. And I just want to give you a couple of examples here. The first one is that he was involved in creation. We see in the, the very second verse of the whole Bible, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And from then on we see that the Holy Spirit brings things into being and he brings order out of chaos. So the Holy Spirit was there at the beginning. But then we see the Holy Spirit exhibited at various times through the Old Testament. He empowered particular people at a particular time for a particular task or purpose. And um, the example we have here is in the building of the tabernacle. If you know the tabernacle, when the children of Israel were wandering in the desert, in the wilderness, God chose to reveal himself in a big tent that was called the tabernacle. It had courtyards to it. This is where the priests carried out their sacrifices. This is where God chose to reveal himself. And we find that the detail of the tabernacle was given directly by God to Moses. It's very intricate when you read uh, in the Old Testament about the building of the tabernacle. But God also highlights certain people and gifts them for the work. So we read in Exodus 31, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill and ability and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. So the Holy Spirit honoured craftsmanship. It's not kind of the high-flying politicians or kings or otherwise. The Holy Spirit honoured craftsmanship in this particular case. And the same is true today. God may give specific gifts to people, um, specific abilities that they've never learned. But God may also take abilities that people have and make them special for his purposes. And in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to hear about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and there we will see the multiple gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the church from, at one end, if you like, 
miraculous healing to the other end, administration. They're all gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this was going on uh, in the Old Testament uh, from time to time. Now through the Old Testament, we see different individuals being filled with the Spirit. Kings, prophets, soldiers, and his activity, as we say, is is limited to particular people at a particular time for a particular purpose. And this is how God related to his people in the Old Testament under what we call the Old Covenant. In our Bible, we have an Old Testament and we have a New Testament. And the Old Old Testament is another name for the Old Covenant. The, The old agreement that God had with the people of Israel and how he related to them. But even here in the Old Covenant, there are hints that something new is coming. God's going to do a new thing and one of the features of that new thing is there going, is going to be an increased activity of the Holy Spirit. God would do this new thing, affecting all God's people, not just a selected few. And uh, this is how God announced that through his prophets. There would be a new covenant, a new covenant. We have the old one, but a new one is forecast. Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. We can understand, can't we, that laws written down are external. They're applied to us and that we have to obey them and we have to accept the sanctions that are given either the the blessings for for obeying or the punishments for not not doing what we should do. And people would often perhaps obey out of fear. But the new covenant will bring something internal. There will be an internal motivation to do the will of God, not just because there was fear of punishment with the law hanging over us, as it were. And Ezekiel reinforces this. He said, there's going to be a new spirit. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There's the internalisation of it. God's going to move us. God's going to change our motivation, help us to change our motivation to do his will. Well, we might have to say, who is this for? Is it still just for a selected number of people from time to time through history? What we find is the prophet Joel says it's for all people. It's for all God's people, irrespective of age, irrespective of station in life, irrespective of sex. This is what Joel says. And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So these prophets are looking ahead to something. Actually, it's hundreds of years before it it took place. When was this to happen? When was God going to make a new covenant with his people? under which the Holy Spirit would be far more available. Well, a fulfilment of these things had to wait for the coming of Jesus. It was Jesus who was going to inaugurate this new phase in God's plan and purpose. He was going to be 
the mediator of the new covenant. We've just celebrated communion and Steve read the words. Jesus said when he took the cup, this is the new covenant in my blood. It was through the death and sacrifice of Jesus that God introduced a new covenant, a new way of relating to him on the basis of faith and grace as opposed to on a basis of law. So Jesus is the inaugurator of the new covenant. Now we know that around the time of Jesus' conception and birth, there was an increased activity of the Holy Spirit. Mary had the Holy Spirit come upon her to be conceived. We find it says that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth and his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, it said of them, they were filled with the Spirit. And um, then we also find an old man in the temple called Simeon, a, a, devote, uh, a devoted man in the, in the temple who welcomed the baby Jesus when his parents took him there. And he prophesied over the baby Jesus. Uh, he, it said of him, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But this is not the fulfilment of the promise. It may be a stirring of what God is going to do, but it's not the fulfilment of the promise. But it's soon to be announced. And uh, as we move on in Jesus' life, uh, to his, around about the age of 30, when he comes out of obscurity, we know very little about him. He lived in Nazareth, but he came out of obscurity to be baptised in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And uh, John, as you know, was a forerunner of Jesus. He was the Elijah that was to come to prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, and to prepare the people. And he was calling the people to repent, to turn from their sins, come back to God, really, because the Messiah's coming. And this is what he says about Jesus. Matthew 3. I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is it. This is what the prophets were foretelling, not, not the occasional pouring out of the Spirit, um, but an overwhelming of the Spirit. And as Jesus comes out of the water, we read, at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. If you know the New Testament, you know the Gospels, that it's from that time that Jesus began his ministry. First of all, full of the Spirit. Then he's tempted in the wilderness and comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit and he does signs and wonders and preaches the kingdom with great power and attributes that to the Holy Spirit. But his disciples still had to wait. It was not their time. Something needed to happen in the life of Jesus for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on his followers. And Jesus tells us what it was. Well, in fact, John tells us at the end. I'm going to read a fuller version of the scripture I quoted right at the, at the beginning, John 7. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later, notice later to receive. And, and we get a clue as to what, 
what it is that's going to trigger this outpouring of the Spirit. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. What do we mean by that? Well, we see that when after Jesus had laid down his life and rose again, he ascended to the Father. And the scriptures make it very clear that that's the time of his glorification. He received power and honour and wisdom and might, as it were, and given a name above every name. And it's at that point, and that point only, that he is able to pour out the Holy Spirit on the church. As the time draws near for Jesus to lay down his life for the sins of the world and, of course, for our sins, on more than one occasion, he warns the disciples that he is going to be taken um, by wicked men and suffer much, and he's going to be killed. Uh, and on the third day, he's going to rise again. Naturally, the disciples were fearful and greatly troubled. They'd given up everything to follow Jesus. He's their hero. He's seen all the wonderful things they've done. The kingdom of God is obviously coming and now Jesus is going to be taken away from them. And they're fearful uh, and they're greatly troubled, anticipating their loss. And of course the loss for the nation of Israel. They had hoped that he was going to be the hope for Israel. And as they gathered for the Last Supper, which again we celebrated in a sense remembering that here, Jesus takes the opportunity to teach them more about the Holy Spirit. He gives them promises and he indicates that the time is coming quite soon when the Holy Spirit will be given. So the the, the next point is that the Spirit is for the disciples' comfort, consolation and continuity. What do I mean by continuity? We know that Jesus, as it were, handed the job over to the disciples. He was the founder of the faith, but he passed it on to the disciples. And it's the Holy Spirit that provides the continuity between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the church. And you'll see what that means. First of all, he says in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The significance of another counsellor is that Jesus, in a sense, was their counsellor. And the Holy Spirit was going to be a counsellor like Jesus, someone like Jesus, though not in physical form. There would be similar characteristics. And he's referred to as the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Well, of course, Jesus did come to them briefly after his resurrection. But I believe this is actually speaking to uh, a uh, long-term coming to them by the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus, when we say, I've got Jesus in my heart, it's the Holy Spirit manifesting Jesus who is in our heart, as it were. John 14, 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. They obviously were afraid and they were obviously troubled and Jesus had to continually try to pacify them as it were. Have you ever wondered how it is that we get 
the New Testament and we get the Gospels and we have so accurately recorded for us the words of Jesus. I've often wondered that. If we think in human terms, I'm sure we've all been to things and everybody's got a different view of what was said and, and, you know, and what, what was agreed and all the rest of it. And yet we have Gospels that, although come from a different perspective, there is so much unity through the Gospels written by different people. And how is it that they could remember the exact words of Jesus so that we could, we could commit our lives to the words of Jesus that are recorded for us in here? Well, this is what uh, that John says, or Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So, the next scripture from John. John 16. Now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. From the disciples' point of view, they did not want to lose Jesus. And who would? If you walk with Jesus, how would you want to lose him? But that Jesus would confine to a small group of people. He could not be in all places at all times. And he was going to send a counsellor who was going to be available at all times and in all places to all believers. So it was better, although the disciples found it hard to accept that maybe. Then verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. There was so much about the Gospel that Jesus could not share with the disciples, it would have overwhelmed them. And as you look at the, the New Testament, we have the Gospels, but we also have letters written by Paul and others. And you find that people like Paul were given inspiration by the Holy Spirit to explain more about what Jesus did on the cross. We learn so much about what the Jesus accomplished on the cross, not from the Gospels, but from the letters, because they were insp- writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit and given insight to expand on our understanding uh, of the Gospel. So, so important. The next point, the Spirit for the disciples' commissioning. Matthew 28 records for us what we've come to call the Great Commission. And we read, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Again, this Jesus being with us and with the disciples, of course, is by the Holy Spirit. But how is it that ordinary men, fishermen, tax collectors, rebellious individuals initially, how is it that these men are going to be able to take the gospel 
uh, to the world by making more disciples who will themselves take the gospel to the world, teaching people all about Jesus. How were they going to do it? Do it? We know that, as we've said, that the Holy Spirit was given for the disciples' comfort and to provide some continuity. But Jesus goes on. He says, I beg your pardon. If we go back to... I'm jumping ahead of my notes. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we read, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So he's now telling them to wait for something specific. He hadn't told them to wait before. Now he's telling them to wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for this baptism of the Holy Spirit that he'd been telling them about. And I guess this again increased their thirst. Uh, They said, well, what is it? What What are we going to receive? And in verse 8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I would say that of all the things that we benefit from, from the Holy Spirit, this is the most important. It is power to make Jesus known. Power to take the gospel into the world. And we have a history of missionary activity where people have blessed these shores and others uh, gone into all sorts of situations dreadful situations sometimes and amazingly they've taken the gospel and they found that God gave them power to preach the gospel and make Jesus known and this is what Jesus promised this is why the Holy Spirit was to come Jesus was about to return to the Father to receive glory and honour as I've said and it was a reward for his sufferings Jesus' glory is seen as a reward for his sufferings. He was soon to be glorified and as the writer says to the Hebrews, to sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There was no higher place. And then in chapter 2 of Acts we read about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was the day of Pentecost, a Jewish feast. I don't know why God chose that. Maybe it was because so many people would be gathered in Jerusalem at that time. People from the surrounding area, people who spoke different languages but were following the Jewish religion would have come to Jerusalem. And whether that's the reason why God chose that day to pour out the Holy Spirit on the church, I'm not sure, but it sounds a good idea to me. Get most people to witness this as, as possible. When the day of Pentecost came, the believers... But altogether, 120 of them, they were waiting, they were anticipating, they were eager, they were thirsty, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And it says the whole house, like a violent wind that filled the whole house, flames like lighted on them, uh, and they all began to speak in other languages that we call tongues. We had a, a, a demonstration of that this morning. They spoke in other languages, and what we find is these were actually known languages, because the people who had gathered, uh, the disciples spilled out on the street, obviously, all this commotion had, had gathered people around, 
and there were people gathered there from all these different places, different nations, different languages, and they were amazed that they heard these men speaking the mighty works of God in their own language. And they were absolutely and they said, What is this? What does it mean? The cynical said they're drunk. These guys are drunk. And I guess in some ways they were intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. And they may have shown some characteristics of, of being drunk, I don't know. But uh, most certainly that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, not with wine. The promise had been fulfilled. This is what the church had been waiting for. This is what was promised by the prophets. This is what Jesus promised his disciples would happen. And it came on the day of Pentecost. And Peter becomes the spokesman and he stands up and he said, men and brethren, um, these men are not drunk. It's too early in the morning. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. They won't be drunk at this time. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And you find through Peter's sermon as to what it becomes, it becomes a sermon to the people that are gathered there, he frequently brings in scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, to identify what the person, sometimes it's King David, it's others, were speaking about many years before. He said, it's now coming to pass. That which God had spoken years ago is now coming to pass. And he particularly picks on the, the prophet Joel, that we read earlier, and here it is in Acts 2, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. That's it. It had occurred. This is what the prophets had foretold. Peter continues to preach to the crowd. Now these people were around when Jesus was crucified. Many of them may have been in the crowd that called out, crucify him, crucify him. So Peter had a particular point that he could make to them. But he made it very clear that this Jesus that you've crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. You've you've crucified the saviour of the world. You've crucified God's Messiah. And the people came under conviction. But in the middle of all that, um, uh, in, in verse 17, Peter said this, sorry, verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. And uh, we find that, uh, that the people become, come under conviction. And this is the Holy Spirit who is poured out uh, for them. So what about us? All right, this is the early church, the beginning of the church, the starting of the church of Jesus Christ here on earth. Can the Holy Spirit be poured out on us in just the same way? as it was at the beginning of the church. Now, some of the manifestations may be different. We may not see tongues of fire and so on. Uh, Some have said that this intensity of the Holy Spirit was given specifically at the beginning to get the church going. Like kickstart it, as we'd say today, and that we don't need the Holy Spirit in that way. We have the Bible, we have the Scriptures, and we don't need the Holy Spirit particularly. 
and I guess um, some, to some extent history ha has backed up that view because there have been periods in history when the church has either ignored or neglected or have been, even been opposed to the works of the Holy Spirit and so the Holy Spirit was not in evidence and people could often say, well, there we are, Holy Spirit's not around like he was at the beginning. But we, 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 we can't build doctrine on experience like that. We have to build doctrine and our understanding on what the scriptures have to say. And you know, let's hear what Peter has to say. He preached to the crowd that they should repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Then in verse 37, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They came under conviction. Peter said, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the same Holy Spirit that was given to them. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you. That's great. There's thousands of people there, 3,000 were added to the church that day, thousands later, the promise is for them. But what about us? But he goes on to say, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. We are those who are afar off, 2,000 years afar off, aren't we? And we're also those whom the Lord has called. So the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is all available to us because we are those who have been called by Jesus to follow him uh, and for him to be our Saviour. When we come to the end of this series, uh, we're going to, next week is, is going to be on the fruit of the Spirit, the following week is going to be on the gifts of the Spirit and then we're going to concentrate on the baptism of the Spirit and we're going to follow that with an evening meeting and we're going to just give opportunity for people to be prayed for, to lay hands on people, to receive the fullness of the Spirit. It's very clear, it's for us, it's our inheritance as God's people. Can't say, well, it's for, it's for them, it's for her, but not for me. Uh, it's very clear, it's for us. But we need to be thirsty, uh, we, we need to come with expectation and, and come in faith and believe. Um, there was somebody, I, I don't often do this, but we had an Alpha course and um, I just felt compelled to pray for somebody and to say, do you believe that when I lay hands on you and pray, you will receive the Holy Spirit? And I've never done that much before. Um, and the person said yes, and they did. And we have to get to that point where we trust the word of God, that we believe what the word of God says, and that if we do what the word of God says, God will come up trumps and he will give us his Holy Spirit. He'll give us his Holy Spirit. So today, in the next couple of weeks, our preparation, if you like, and that will culminate in a time of, of teaching about the baptism in the Spirit and an opportunity to pray for one another. If you've already experienced that, come for more. Right? There's always more. Isn't there? Isn't it great with God? There's always more. There's always more. So let us pray and then we're going to sing a song to finish with.
Father, we thank you for the wonderful continuity of your word. Father, we thank you for the prophets of old who didn't know what they were talking about, had no idea what they were prophesying, but it's recorded for us, for our encouragement. Father, thank you that we can follow it through in the life of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that he promised that that there would be a fulfilment of your promise uh, to your people. And Lord, that we have the record of it happening and Lord, we're told it's for us. And Lord, help us, Lord. If we've, if we've become dull in this, Lord, if we've lost our thirst, if we've lost our taste for the Holy Spirit, will you stir us up, Lord? Lord, will you help us to come back to the Scriptures again, Lord, and to put our trust in them, to have faith, and Lord, to see you do mighty things among us. Father, will you go with us as we sing our last song? Will you bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name? Amen. Thank <laughs> you.